Welcome to the Inside BS Show. We're back with another great opportunity for you to learn and grow your business at the same time. My guest today is Sue Koch, and she's going to teach us about social media and using systems to grow your social media. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you're listening to this, one of two things is going to happen immediately. Either you're going to stop what you're doing and you're going to listen really intently, or you've already gone, ah, I can't believe we're going to talk about social media. Well, listen up. You can. You can use social media effectively to build your business, especially if you're a professional service provider. And that means you, lawyers, CPAs, consultants especially. I want you to listen to today's show and I want you to send me feedback and I want to learn, I want to discover what your issues are, your stumbling blocks are with social media. I'm going to talk through mine today with Sue and she's going to hopefully cure me and she's going to teach us what we need to be doing. Let me tell you uh, a little bit about Sue. So After leaving her SVP post at a tech company in 2009 and growing her own consulting business using LinkedIn and Twitter, Sue shifted her business model to become a social media success catalyst for others. She's been hired to speak and train at Fortune 500 companies, companies like Accenture, like Oracle, and to speak for organizations such as the American Marketing Organization and at the NAR Annual Conference for Realtors. Her unique ability to make social media easy to understand and actionable has allowed her to guide thousands of regulated service professionals, thousands of them, including coaches and entrepreneurs on their unique social media journey. This is a roadmap. She's going to provide us today with a roadmap and all the tools needed to thrive in an intensely competitive business environment. So please join me. We're going to get the inside BS on social media today from Sue Koch. All right, Sue, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks for being with us today. Hi, Dave. It's great to be here with you today. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And I'm the guy who put a chapter in his latest book titled Anti-Social Media. I was, and this is two years ago, well, three years ago now, I was really down on social media. It was a, a place to go to fight with friends and relatives alike. I've come around a little bit, and I think you're going to bring me around a little bit more today. Tell me why you left what seems like a great job and just dove right into social media. What, What was your inspiration for doing that? Um, Excellent. Actually, so when I left that job, uh, there were a lot of personal things happening and I had really experienced everything you could experience in the corporate world and tech startup from positions of an organization. And I just really had this overwhelming desire to do my own thing. But I actually didn't start with social media. I actually began doing some business and life coaching, but primarily doing what my, at the time, expertise was. And that was doing a lot of, uh, you know, tech support and e-commerce and website development for new businesses launching e-commerce sites. And I was using Well, actually, I wasn't yet using LinkedIn and Twitter, but because of that time, as you may recall, 2009 was not so great for the economy. So I lost my entire savings for starting my business for a variety of reasons. That's when I took to Twitter and LinkedIn and it started working. And people, while I was slowly building a business, people saw what I was demonstrating and started to say, hey, I don't want what your website says. I want you to show me what you're doing here. 
And it really flipped a switch where I started then helping people do what I was doing on LinkedIn and Twitter, educating, adding value, getting clients, building strategic relationships. And my original business plan went in the trash and I started down the social media path. Okay, great. I love your story. It is similar to my own story. I started my business in October of 2008. Um, and a month later, my son was born, my first child. So I really was motivated to, uh, to be successful. And I use social media a little bit, mostly for fun, mostly to connect with people. Talk about the, the planning that has to happen first before you jump on social media for business. What do we need to do before we start posting videos of our services and you know connecting with everybody, what's the planning that we should be doing up front? Yes, and people hate this when I tell them, but strategy. That's the starting point. And I think we've, you know, we've evolved so much in social media where it has truly become such a sales, education, marketing, advertising platform. But people still have the mindset that we had way back in the day, right? Where you could just sort of take to Twitter, take to LinkedIn, add some value, and people would be like, wow. But now it's a highly competitive space. It's a highly anxiety-riddled space. And so you really need to have that strategy so that you know exactly what you're trying to accomplish with each channel, what your audience needs are and how you appeal to them, um, and what that brand voice is and if you have any support, and really the content creation, generation, and distribution. And without that plan and just trying to shoot from the hip every day, you're not going to get the ROI in your creation efforts, and you're also going to have a disjointed message. So that strategy is critical. Yeah, I... I'm very much into planning things out before before you launch them. And I didn't do that with social media on my own. And a lot of my clients just go on social media and they connect with people willy-nilly. One of the things that kind of brought me around to social media was the, the evolution of kind of being able to micro-target specific audiences, right? We have the ability right now, and if you, if you, look, you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to take Sue's word for it. If you want to study the evolution of this, go back to the 2008 presidential campaign with Barack Obama where his team micro-targeted using email, okay? And then within a span of not eight years, within a span of probably four to five, six years, email fell by the wayside and the micro-targeting really went more along the lines of social media. Then, regardless of your political uh, bent, whatever you think about their ideology, look at what the first Trump campaign did and how they micro-targeted, they drilled in on specific audiences on social media and look at the influence they were able to have. That doesn't happen without you knowing exactly who your audience is. So, Sue, how do we do the kind of targeting we need to to be successful without, you know, millions of dollars from donors? What do we need to do to figure out who our audience should be on social media? Yeah, that's such an ex excellent point. And of course, these things have changed a lot. And because of a lot of those things, we may find ourselves more restricted in doing some of the advertising we'd like to do. But again, it all starts with that identification of who your audience is. And what I like to do with clients too is put a face with those people. You know, there's a lot of work done behind personas and avatars and marketing. And you still find yourself speaking to a group, right? When you can really put a face behind it and identify if you're B2B, what that company 
company and decision makers are, if you're B2C, who those people are, and really put that before you. I think that really helps you craft and refine a message that allows you to speak to your audience in a way that you don't sound like you're casting a wide net and hoping to catch someone. And so I think it starts first in that identification and the message crafting. And then if you do want to take it to advertising, really identifying how that works on the social channel you're on. So when you talk about some of the political campaigns and of course the biggest, um, you know, the most popular one we hear about and discuss is how Facebook advertises. And definitely in regulated professional services. There's a lot of AI behind the scenes that are controlling policies that are a little overly aggressive because they're trying so hard to protect the people who are being advertised to in that arena. So it's even more important to craft those messages in a uh, genuine way, but also identify where your audiences are so that you're able to really leverage other people's audiences and from that persona and those people, businesses you identify, where are they on social media? What are they doing? And that allows you to get into those areas to have those conversations and attract those people. So I want to make sure I'm hearing you right. So we go to real clients and talk to them and say, hey, what are you, you know, what are you thinking about? What's on your mind? How, you know, your business strategy, what are you doing with your business in this, you know, in the upcoming year? Like right now, as we record this, it's the middle of February 2021 and we're still uh, knee deep in a, well, neck deep in a pandemic, right? So you could yeah. say to your, to your clients, hey, what, what's your strategy for the next six months during the pandemic as we slowly climb out of it? Your clients will tell you, and then you can take that information and go figure out how to craft a message. Now, do you recommend that we take the message first and go back to our best clients and say, hey, what do you think of this and see if it resonates with real people before we take it to social? That's a great question. I think if you've already done that work and maybe you already have a strategy that was pre-pandemic, right? Because that changed everything. So if you've already done that work, I think it can be a good starting foundation to say, here's what our focus is. Here's our messaging. Does this still appeal to you where you're at today? Right. But if you've never done the work before to really refine that message and you do have clients or a contact database of people that you can start to reach out to, then I'd say start with that and just start asking people, hey, what are your pain points? What what has this pandemic or this shift in a new year, a new environment of hybrid model working, what has this done to your business and what are your biggest needs now so that you can align that with that message? So yeah, again, I think it depends on where that business is with already having something versus just getting started. And you know, let's take it back to what we used to do old school, call people up, email them, ask them questions instead of just saying, here's what I do and here's what I think people will get from it and what I think they need from me. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I'm toying with now in my business and when I when I refine it, I will I guess we'll decide if we're going to recommend it to clients is creating uh, like groups like a Facebook group, for example, mm. and setting it up as my own kind of internal panel. Right. And it's my panel to study messaging. So I, pr I put out new content every day into the group and the people in the group consume the content. And as I as I put the different content out, I look at the levels of engagement and it's my way to do very targeted uh, market research. You know, back 
I, I want to say probably 10 or 12 years ago, there was this trend even by big brands where they would go to market without doing market research and they would run it in a tightly, they would run ads in a tightly focused geographic area and they would look at the demographics they were targeting and they would say, okay, we don't need to test this. We ran it and it was successful and we just need to tweak it to make it more successful. Mm -hmm. Well, now with social, I think we've seen that shift back where these brands are using their social media platforms as their own internal panels to test messaging. Is that something that we all, I mean, I think we can all do it. Is that something that's realistic? Absolutely. And I love that you brought up the whole idea of Facebook groups because it's really sort of become... Uh, the only safe space on Facebook. You know, there's a lot of people departing Facebook, frustrations with Facebook, trying to figure out how they survive as a brand using a page. And Facebook groups have become popular on both sides. Facebook is really trying to push the use of them. Meanwhile, people are really leveraging the opportunity to have a safe space to build their community, keep them loyal. And you're really accomplishing so many things in the example that you mentioned, Dave, is if you create a group, of followers who are learning from you, you're creating a community, you're networking, you're building your brand, but you're also getting that consumer research in there. And the great method that you also addressed was posting something every day to trigger a conversation. A lot of people create groups and then they're like, all right, you're in there and have at it. Um, and when you're really participating, it one gives people that loyalty and trust in you, but they're going to start to be a self-operating group that is giving you exactly that audience research that you need. So I think it's a perfect demonstration of just that. Yeah. And one of the things that, that we're looking at this for as well is our, our business, like a lot of businesses in uh, the 2008, 2009 era was built on the back of email marketing. And I could, mm -hmm. I could test a message via email and, you know, good subject lines would get 40, 50% open rates. These days I'm thrilled with like 11 or 12%, right? Yeah. And if I, if it gets up to 20%, I know I really got something, you know, that's like mother's day. When I say in a subject line, call your mom, I get like 20% yeah. and I'm like, Oh my God, 20% of the people opened it. Right. And that's, that's the best performing email these days is half of what it what what the best was when email was hot. Well, yeah. I think I think creating online groups, particularly in Facebook these days, is good. And I think it's long term viable because it keeps people on Facebook longer. So Facebook can serve them up more ads. So it, it's a win yeah. for me. It's also a win for them. What's your what are your thoughts on long term viability? Is this a strategy that will probably last us for five years? You know, I, I think so, because I think the people who are getting so um, disheartened with Facebook generally, they're still sticking around for those groups. And I've been doing a lot of research in that myself as well as a participant in some and also with clients who are creating some. And it just feels like people are saying now, I just come to Facebook for my groups and they're finding ways that they can actually put shortcuts on their phone so that they can go to the app and go right to the group. And that's something too that I work on with people in process is not, you know, outside of the strategy and specific focus stuff, but all right, let's set your desktop and your phone up so that you go into your page, you go into your group, you get in and get out without getting distracted by the newsfeed to remove, you know, the distraction, the anxiety, the negativity. And so people are using them in that that way. So I think it is a great long-term solution because they're growing, 
like you said, Facebook likes that because it keeps us on their app so they can advertise to us. But if we pull those sneaky workarounds to just go into our groups, interact, and get on out, then we're avoiding that sneak attack of the ads. I'm sure Facebook's going to get to putting ads in groups at some point, but <laughs> for yeah, now, and, and it's a safe zone. You know, <laughs> candidly, if you're not paying for something, you have to realize you are the product, right? And that's, right. that's Facebook's business model. Because you're not paying Facebook anything, you got to realize they're going to sell stuff to you constantly. They're constantly going to bombard you. And, you know, you can't, I'm not going to allow people who listen to the show to get upset when their organic reach on Facebook is gone. Well, of course your organic reach is gone because now people are paying to reach the people you want to reach. So yep. you've, you've got to do a couple of things if you want to use Facebook. Sue, tell us what we need to do. If we're, if we're going to use Facebook effectively, what's the best way for somebody to do it? Yeah, that, it's great because people are frustrated and unfortunately it is a pay to play game. And like you said, we are the product and people are getting creative. So if you really wanna use a Facebook page to build and grow your business, you need to have a strong strategy around content that allows you to do some level of advertising to target those people. Um, and it's, it's again, if you're in professional services, it's a little bit tougher, but you have to find those unique ways to get that message out. And things like what you're doing with you know video podcasting, that episodic content, is what social channels want. And a lot of people are resistant, but it truly is what works, uh, especially in this business. If you can stand out with a unique personal brand and have episodic content that's giving people value, featuring others, you're gonna get a lot more out of that organically. And then when you start putting some money behind that in a very strategic way, you can grow. And then, you know, a lot of people have taken to using groups more as well as bringing things over onto their personal profile. And of course, you can't, you know, terms of service, you can't use your personal profile for commercial use, but something like this, for example, if you're building a big community and you're sharing your podcasts on your personal channel, you're adding value, but you're also extending your organic reach and driving people back to your brand. So there's a lot of ways to get creative outside of putting a lot of ad spend down to use everything Facebook has available, give the algorithm what it wants, work your echo chamber by doing outbound communication to draw those people into you. And that's, I think, the biggest missing component. People put stuff out there and then they walk. Mm. We need to not only communicate with the comments in within our groups, but go out to other pages and brands and people to have conversations that will draw them back in. Yeah, I think that's really smart. And you can start, in fact, I recommend all the time, I'm curious to get your feedback on this. Mm -hmm. I want people to start as narrow as possible because it's less competitive from an ad spend standpoint. You're not yeah. Coca-Cola, you're not Chevrolet, you don't have that kind of a budget. So you've got, what, $500? $1,000 a month to spend, go where your clients are, but go for a narrow segment of your clients. So, you know, if you're, if you're targeting, let's say you're targeting lawyers, focus on who the best lawyer clients are for you. So maybe intellectual property attorneys versus all attorneys, right? And maybe even if you're big in one particular city, intellectual property attorneys in Los Angeles, intellectual property attorneys in Orange County, California, Right. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to go even more narrow, intellectual property attorneys between the ages of 40 and 70 in Orange County, California, 
and focus exclusively on those who do patent prosecution, which is very specific. And you can get that specific if you want to. Now you've got a thousand dollar ad budget. You've defined your audience so tightly, they're going to see the ad multiple times and it's going to be way more effective than somebody who just sees it once. What are your yep. thoughts on, on that type of strategy, Sue? I totally agree with you. And there's so many people who have a fear around finitely niching like that because a lot of times they feel like they're missing out, right? But I liken it to like flyering in a parking lot, right? If you come out of the store and you've got a flyer on your car to go to the club at 4 a.m., I, I don't need that. You're spending money on something that people are getting and they're completely discarding. And it also helps you do that audience research much better. So work that niche, see how well those ads do and how they respond to those things. And then maybe layer in some others so that you can do some optimization and review of what's working better, what appeals to who better. Because that also helps you then re-strategize and design your content in a way where, okay, this video really worked for these IP attorneys, but this image did not. And maybe I have to carve my audience out into different ways. And starting like that gives you so much value and education behind what you can do next. Um, and also the idea around just, you know, Facebook, if you cast this huge net, it's gonna self-optimize and test you out for a week. If you yourself really niche down, you're telling it exactly who you want. And when they see it more, it's planting those seeds, right? If someone just sees your ad once and you're mad that you're not getting conversions on your lead page, well, they don't know you yet. They need to get to know you and that helps accomplish that. No, oh, that's great. All right, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about LinkedIn. By far, mm. this is the uh, social media um, outlet, you know, profile network that I get the most questions on, and there seem to be the most. And I'm gonna I'm gonna use a word that people aren't gonna like. There seem to be the the most number of charlatans out there uh, <laughs> who are you know helping. Like I got I have clients that are spending more money on a LinkedIn charlatan than they're spending on any other form of business development activity. And what they're doing is they're, they're just basically throwing content up against the wall to see what sticks. So what's the right strategy for LinkedIn, Sue? Yeah, I, you know, it really has a lot of people have been coming out saying face or LinkedIn is getting so Facebooky. There's all these people just spamming and uh, people who are just doing these things like um, just really trying to game the algorithm, right? But the social channels all know when we're trying to game an algorithm. So, you know, again, it really comes back to taking your strategy at a high level into each channel and how that channel operates, knowing who you're trying to uh, appeal to and just giving them that good content. So many people are doing the things like, oh, I have to do these bulleted, bulleted posts or, oh, now I have to get into a LinkedIn pod or I have to do this thing that someone else is doing. Don't force yourself into a square if you're a circle just because someone says this is working right now. If it appears to be an algorithm game, I say stay away from it because that stuff's always going to shift. I mean, it, it again, it, it sounds maybe cliche, but it's give true, genuine content that represents your brand, speaks to the needs and the pain points and the solutions for the audience that you're seeking to address, and just deliver on that and continue to reaffirm that message, but also build relationships. You know, I, I am not personally one for open networking. I understand those that are, but 
you know, for me personally, I'd rather go quality and target and then start cleaning those people out of your newsfeed. You know, a lot of us have been on LinkedIn since its inception. And there's people on there that I don't even remember, or maybe I do and they're great, but I don't need them in my feed anymore. Yeah. So make sure to really craft your, your uh, newsfeed by removing people interacting with those that are important to you again to draw them in you know those i think are the genuine ways of working the algorithm is by sending it the signals it's looking for not by playing a copy and content game or tagging 15 people in four comments every time you do a post oh that's you know they're the you know in terms of the top three things that just aggravate the crap out of me on linkedin the first is of course the spammer right so what i've taken to doing is when somebody's trying to sell me something on linkedin because part of what i do is teach people how to sell i have a, a copy and paste email i just send right back in mail that i just send right back to them saying hey you're doing this wrong if you want to learn how to do it right here's what you got to do and then i never hear from them again so that gets rid of the of spammer course. right the second thing that aggravates the uh the hell out of me is Somebody tagging me in a in a you know a post that is simply just an article they wrote. It's not the article is not about me, but they're tagging me so that it reaches my audience, the people who are on my feed. You know, mm-hmm. look if I know you well enough and you ask me, I'm gonna let you do it, but don't just right. do that without asking me. You know, it just it's just exactly. crazy. And then the third thing that drives me nuts on LinkedIn is personal stuff. I don't want to see a picture of you with no shirt on at the beach on LinkedIn. You know what I mean? I, nobody, candidly, nobody wants to see that. It's just not no. the right place for it. This is a professional forum. What, what is your counsel to your clients? What are the, what's the, the fence, the guide that you put around content on LinkedIn? Give us what type of content, um, you know, and obviously it could be visual, it could be auditory, it can be, you know, it could be a post, but what are the guides for content on LinkedIn and how is it different from someplace like Facebook? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I always kind of frame everything in the rule of thirds that we hear a lot about in, you know, from back in the day into how it's evolved into social media and making sure that however people carve out that rule of thirds, I like the the variation that talks about education, engagement, and, you know, selling. And so, of course, part of this is going to be about selling, but we want to balance that out with other things and not do it in the hard pitch way, right? Sell through story, sell through need. But when you talk about the other types of posts, it's really to, you know, there's certainly something to be said for personal brand um, and getting to know the person behind the firm, getting to know the person behind the company. But like you said, that doesn't have to be you running down the beach shirtless or leaning on your car and bragging about what you just bought this weekend. It's more about if there's something that you have relevant happening in your life that you can align to your business journey that you can align to the services you offer, that will be a, a story that resonates with your audience, by all means, pull that personalization into it, um, but not in the way that it's like on Facebook, here's my you know, my breakfast burrito and my mimosa on a Sunday morning, um, unless you're meeting with you know, your podcaster and having a great time planning your strategy. You know, it's, so it's really making sure there's that business alignment there and use that rule of thirds to balance things out so you're not overselling, and you're not educating too much where people are tired of your message, balance it out, be real, but don't try to force, again, an Instagram or a Facebook type of post into LinkedIn just because it's content that will give you something to post for the day. It needs to be intentional. Yeah, uh, you know, we uh, we don't want, we're not going to LinkedIn for uh, for your, you know, your, your tribute to your grandma who unfortunately just passed away. That's better, that's better on Facebook for those who really know you well. 
Um, right. Talk a little bit about the opportunities that you see for people on LinkedIn with um, with LinkedIn Live, with groups, with advertising. I have not explored a lot in that area. My own experience with LinkedIn advertising is it's it's really expensive. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the opportunities that you're exploring with your clients these days? Yeah, so I agree. Yes, LinkedIn is very expensive where you can do a lot of great trial and error for like a buck a day per campaign on Facebook. If you're not spending at least $25 a day on LinkedIn, you're not even going to get a click or two. And so that makes that pretty tough. The the targeting is extraordinary, especially if you're looking um, for job titles of decision makers and things like that. But you've got to have that budget to use and have a very well done strategy. Um, You know, I think a lot of people have been doing really well with LinkedIn Live and doing video, but I'm also seeing quite a bit of variation. I've just started to use LinkedIn Live myself. Um, and I'm actually seeing some people doing recorded video and LinkedIn Live, and actually against what we're hearing out there, their recorded videos are actually getting a ton more visibility than their lives. Mm. So I'm gonna try testing that out a little bit more myself, but it really seems to be scattered as far as this perception of you have to go live or you have to do videos this long. But I do, I definitely do recommend because you know, the video thing is working both from an algorithmic as well as from a consumer perspective. So Mm. if people are looking to get out there in a different way, and again, especially in regulated professional services, not as many people are doing it. So if you do, you're going to stand out and you've also got such valuable information to provide there. So, you know, the one thing I tell anyone to do differently would be to start using video. And, you know, making sure that uh, one thing I really find a lot, even people who are very active on LinkedIn, if we take a deep dive in their profile, they start to realize there are certain things they haven't updated since 2013. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's such a key thing to do is to go back and make sure that that profile is through stuff and that you're leveraging all of the opportunity to present your media that you can on the profile. There's some people doing great things in their content distribution and their profile still looks like a job resume. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about um, the premium services that LinkedIn offers. How do you Mm -hmm. recommend people use things like Sales Navigator or just the upgraded versions of LinkedIn where you you get additional contacts and you can can do more in-depth research, you can create lists? What is your recommendation to your clients related to some of these premium services? Yeah, I think, you know, they work if you work it. And that's usually the problem is that people don't always want to work it. They think if they get sales navigator, LinkedIn is going to be like, here's a bunch of great people that want to hire you. That's not how it works, right? So I do tell people, once your strategy is in place, you've got content going out, you're getting engagement, now try that free trial. And let's plan how you're going to use those upgraded services for these 30 days and work the hell out of it. And if it works for you and you decide that there's an ROI, keep on going. If you're just not going to do it, don't waste your money by, you know, just having a premium service to have a little gold banner on your profile because you could put that money into advertising. So, you know, again, it has to have a strategy at a client who didn't even realize she had Sales Navigator and was paying annually for it. Mm. And she's like, well, let me give it a go now that I realize this opportunity I'm missing out on. But again, it went back to a really strong audience targeting exercise to make sure she knew where to find her people, who she wanted to talk to, 
and then she hit it really hard and it's working amazingly well for her. But you've got to work it for it to work. Yeah, you know, one of one of my challenges with LinkedIn has always been leverage because mm -hmm. you can you can do a one-on-one -on -one networking strategy online using LinkedIn, finding people, having conversations. That will work for you, but it takes a long time. It's really yeah. difficult. So do you recommend that people um, make offers of free stuff to get people off of LinkedIn into a community, like a Facebook community or mm. an email list? What's your recommendation along those lines? Yeah, um, it really depends on the client. You know, in a lot of cases, that initial lead magnet type thing might work, you know, getting on a webinar, a PDF mm -hmm. of some sort, or joining a group where we're going to be doing some kind of training. Um, that can work in some industries. In others, and also where I think I've seen, at least in the work I do in professional services, where Sales Navigator has worked a little bit better is actually not maybe as much with direct lead gen, but strategic partnerships if there's not a lead magnet that someone's giving to try and get you know potential clients like you said into a webinar or a facebook group that if you are trying to build strategic partnerships that can be a much quicker um escalation to just getting on the phone and building that relationship because if both parties have sales navigator and they're working it and they find each other they're ready to make that connection and mm. take it offline and have that conversation yeah yeah and linkedin is still a great resource if you're reaching out to larger companies it's a great resource to mine yeah. through the people you know who know people in the larger companies or you can even directly target them maybe not by spamming them on linkedin but perhaps going and sending something physical to introduce yourself you can figure out who the right person is through using linkedin now let's um yeah. let's go to uh the third leg kind of of the of the three-legged stool and let's talk a little mm -hmm. bit about twitter i used to be the biggest fan of twitter 2008 2009 i made i made some great connections who are now real friends in real mm -hmm. life through Twitter, and then Twitter became very, very noisy. These days, I think Twitter is uh, powerful for uh, use as a news aggregator if you're following lots of people in the media. Also, if you want to connect with people in the media and you have something important, timely, and relevant to say, I've had good success connecting with people in the media on Twitter, on LinkedIn as well, but Twitter is the place to go for that. How do you recommend we use Twitter? Yeah, it's funny, Dave, you and I have a lot of very similar philosophies on on all of the channels because and my experience was very much the same when in the early days when I started using Twitter, I made great relationships, people I would quickly go meet and have coffee when we could do that with ease, got speaking gigs off of Twitter. Yep. Um, and then it became so bot ridden. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a lot of people kind of fell off and I stayed away for a while and it was always great for conferences, right? So even in that yes. bot ridden world, if there was yes. a big conference and you're using the hashtags and connecting to speakers and participants, but it really, it was a place that a lot of people kind of left a lot like people have recently with Facebook. But I do feel like people are coming back to it a lot more. And like you said, uh, news, trending news, aggregating news, getting in touch with media, getting PR. Um, and keeping a pulse on trends. So I actually work with a lot of people that 
they don't use Twitter actively themselves, but they use it like a monitoring dashboard mm -hmm. to, you know, find curated content or try to get in touch with with media or just use ideas for content development based on what's trending. So whether you want to dive in and, you know, create those relationships by being very active and conversational and with a strong target mindset, I think it can totally work for that. But even if you want to be a voyeur um, and experience things to learn trends and keep a pulse on what's happening, it's really great for that as well because of its rapid pace too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Twitter has utility. I think there's uh, I think there's utility there. And I'm in agreement with you that you need you need an assistant or you need somebody to help you with a with a scheduling process to yeah. schedule your content to go out and then you got to drop in two or three times a day to reply to people who are engaging with you and again i you're never going to go wrong with a with a strategy where you have a specific target and you're, you know, if you're like if you're following the, you know, the business reporters from CNBC and from Fox Business and you come across something that would be valuable and timely and relevant to them and you send it out. It's a it's a link to an article on your website and you have a list and you send it out to each one of them. Uh, you tweet at them. Uh, in individual tweets, you can even try DMing if some of them have mm -hmm. their DMs open. You never know. That's that. There's there's a that there's a a really good way that that can work. And here's something that I found that is um, that even I haven't been able to to fully utilize. So I have a couple of friends that just have jobs in the media, and when something is timely and relevant, and even if I, even if it's just, I have a snarky comment about something, or you know I want to amplify something that they've said, if I tweet at them they will often retweet that or it gets seen by other people who are involved in the media and that can lead me to connect with those people if i mm -hmm. if i employed that strategy three or four times a week i could really pump up my media contacts if that was something i was focusing on what other yeah. ways do you do you recommend people use twitter these days yeah, I think that's such a great method because, you know, and it's also Twitter seems to be more acceptable for that, right? You feel there's a different comfort zone and expectation of if you DM'd or added a media personality on Twitter versus if you did that on LinkedIn or Facebook and be like, whoa, why are you knocking on my door? But yeah. on Twitter, it's like you're passing by in the hallway and you're going to chat. But, um, you know, I, I like to use, I like it for that purpose. And then a lot of people... Um, I like to guide people on using lists so that, again, I'm, I'm very much about how can we avoid our news feeds and get into what we really want to do. And so as part of that same type of strategy where you said you got to come back, even if you're scheduling, you got to come back and have these conversations. So having people create lists of these targeted people they're trying to build relationships and get in contact with, just go into each of those lists and zone in to have those conversations instead of coming in and getting lost in that news feed um, and again getting taken down by any of the negativity that might be out there zone in on those people by using twitter lists and you can use that on the app or any of the scheduling tools you're using um, but i think it is it's about knowing who you're trying to contact are you there for media are you there for clients are you there for strategic partners if it's all of them create those lists and just focus on those people because yeah. there's too much, it's too fast, and you need to zone in, and it's all about that consistency. People will give up too quickly after one tweet. It's the consistency. 
Yeah, no, no, I, I, I completely agree. All right, yeah. let, let's um, quickly touch on, there's there's uh, a couple of things I want to touch on quickly. Instagram, I found, is great for targeting consumers. We, uh, a couple of years ago, probably now four years ago, I was able to recruit for a Little League baseball team for that my kid was on using very targeted Instagram ads. Uh, my wife has a local business and Instagram is, it's a food business. It's a food delivery service. Instagram's been fantastic for that. She yeah. gets a ton of traffic and the traffic is exactly what she's looking for. Is there utility for professional services on Instagram? And if so, what would it be? How, how would you use it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it also depends on the professional services. You know, there are lawyers out there that are doing very creative things, but I think you have to be extraordinarily creative and go beyond traditional comfort zones to really make a big difference there. Meanwhile, I have seen, um, I know some realtors that mm. use Instagram specifically and only, and there's some in my local area who are top 1% in the country, and they will say, and one I can say also, it's not about demographic. One is 67 and the other is 32 sure. and they two of them have been using instagram specifically and only for their real estate business and it's worked extraordinarily well so i think it's all about you know who you're targeting and making sure you're crafting that right content and you know in in the area of financial services if you're doing a lot of education in a way that appeals to that audience, right. they can do really well as well. But it's about getting creative with that audience. So it can be done, um, but you really have to put a lot into that strategy, the content, and really be there to do the proactive communication. And like you said, the very targeted advertising to make sure that you're hitting them and growing that way. Yeah, yeah. All right, real quick, Snapchat, is it over? Are we, are we done with uh, Snapchat? Is that, you know is what? That, you know, for right I've now. I've always had to draw a line. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're done with Snapchat for now. Stay, stay tuned. Everything, everything, you know, tends to go around and come around. Snapchat's going to reinvent itself. But, you know, when my, yeah. when my 18 year old and 21 year old nieces are not using something anymore, you know, that's a pretty good harbinger that it's over. Um, yeah. Too yeah. soon, too soon for TikTok and Clubhouse. What do you think? Oh, you know, those are interesting. Um, I think TikTok has been doing some amazing things, but there's always that that edge of time where things really escalate, escalate and you can do amazing things and then it starts to drop off. Even like Clubhouse, you know, I, I dove in and saw that happening very quickly, but it also very quickly went to 1 million people to 5 million people. Now there's a lot of privacy controversy. There's a lot of lawyers that and privacy consultants that have been reading their privacy terms with a fine tooth comb and saying, whoa. Mm -hmm. So, but then there's also the idea that every social channel steals all the things, right? So Facebook is working on an audience. Audio. Twitter is working on uh, an audio as well um, and also incorporate now Twitter's added fleets. Uh, you know, Instagram is real. So everyone's always taking something from the other channels to try to become the everything. Um, I feel like it got, I, I think TikTok's got a good runway. Um, I'm not sure about Clubhouse, though. If you would ask me that a couple of weeks ago, I was all geeked out about it. But now there's a lot of issues happening there. Yeah. Uh, so they're really going to have to tighten down on the privacy. Um, there's a lot of fraud and crazy things happening out there. They need to find a way to control that. Um, and I don't know that, you know, if Twitter and Facebook are coming up with a competitive audio platform, if they're going to be able to do the same thing. So I think it's going to be an interesting 
competition to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're, so basically you're saying what everybody's thinking, at least what I'm thinking too soon, uh, you know, wait and see too soon for those. Let's see, let's see what the utility is before yeah. it, you have only so many hours in the day, right? You have only so many resources. So let's wait and see on those. All right. Talk about the hub and spoke model, explain what it is, explain how it works, and then we can talk about how you can help with it. Excellent. So yeah, it's really a framework of content strategy that I work with clients on because a lot of times getting into content strategy, especially if someone's doing it themselves or it's, you know, it's a, a firm with one person to support them, the idea of content development and having something that consistently is coming out is a very daunting idea. And so I like to work with people and focusing on, you know, it could be a hub channel and then others that are lesser used but distribute your content or and also a larger hub of content that again becomes smaller pieces of content in different variations that you can then send out across channels. So um, I've been doing a daily live series where I feature a lawyer, a lender, a realtor, et cetera, who are doing this very thing. Mm. And quite often it's you know like what you're doing here. You've got you're doing a video where you, you know, you can put that on YouTube and have a focus there, creates podcasts on different channels, and then that narrative and that conversation that comes from that can become stories that then also get distributed across Instagram and LinkedIn, et cetera. So it's the idea of creating something bigger and valuable that can become a distribution, um, not only to continue to drive traffic back to your original primary traffic source, um, but to just simplify that process. And like you had said earlier about advertising, people need to see you a lot. You know, it, just doing something once and hitting someone isn't going to be, oh, Dave told me that a couple weeks ago. I know that already, right. right? We need to repeat that conversation. And every time we hear it, we might pick up on a different piece. So it's not over repetition. It's just carving things out to simplify your strategy and your distribution of it and continuing to remind people what your expertise is and how you can support them. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, you got to remember frequency of communication is what builds trust, right? So yep. people need to hear from you over and over and over again. And one of the stories I tell my clients repeatedly, I, I invest a lot in my own personal and professional development and I will invest in a course watch the videos all the way through and then listen to them a second time while I'm working out or running or walking. And it's amazing that I pick up on things the second time that I didn't hear the first time. Then I'll listen to it a third time and stop it and take notes. Mm -hmm. And I find even more things that I didn't hear the first two times. Yeah. So if you think about it that way, if your content is really valuable, it's really helpful, you owe it to your audience to beat them over the head with it until they get the idea. Um, exactly. I mean, you're not annoying them. You're helping them. And anybody who's annoyed is going to self-select out. So don't worry about them. Yep. Perfect. All right, Sue. So tell <laughs> us how, how can we get your assistance with our hub and spoke model? How do we, how do we engage you to help us? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, you know, I'm always open to people finding me. Like I said earlier, I'm not necessarily an open connector, but if I, if I figure I know where you're coming from and you're interested in hearing more, watching the show that I am streaming live on, demonstrating this example, connect with me on LinkedIn. People can find me at suekoch.com. Um, which can direct you to any of your, whatever your preferred social channel is. And you can find me on link, mostly LinkedIn um, and Facebook and uh, Instagram. 
All right. Thank you, Sue Koch. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. We're going to put all that information for you folks in the show notes. So make sure you go to the show notes on your favorite podcast outlet. If you're going on iTunes for the show notes, we'll put all Sue's contact info in there. If you like what you heard, make sure you leave us a review. Those reviews, they're like hen's teeth. They're really hard to come by and it really makes a big difference. So please do us a favor. Tell us that you loved Sue on the show in a review. Go to Sue's website. It's suekoch.com. I'm going to spell it for you. S-U-E-K-O-C-H.com. Throw the three W's in the front just for good measure. And take advantage of our services. She really knows what she's talking about. Sue, it's been a pleasure having you on today. And this episode of the Inside BS Show is available, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening to this and you want to see us live, go to YouTube. We put up the YouTube video in about a month and we can't wait to see you there. So join us here again tomorrow for another interview where we take you inside the business strategy, share all the insider business secrets and cut through all of that inside BS that's bogging you down. Until tomorrow, I'm Dave Lorenzo and here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.